So here at Abayagiri on Saturday night, we're nearing the end of uh, Vasa, um, the three-month period where uh, we have determined to uh, more or less stay in uh, one place uh, as a community, practicing together, studying the monastic rules of training. Uh, Tomorrow will be the uh, final day uh, for that period. And uh, all of us have had a chance to take a two or three weeks of solitary retreat during this time, and I just finished mine about a week ago. So it's been a while since I've been asked to give a reflection. I feel a bit rusty here. <clears throat> oh, the, uh, a theme, the theme that came to mind um, was based on uh, last weekend, uh, Ajanyaniko did a day-long online retreat uh, for Insight Santa Cruz uh, here at the monastery with some people attending too, and the theme that he chose to uh, spend the day with was compassion. And um, I wasn't present for that. I was still on retreat, but uh, uh, it just occurred to me that maybe to uh, share a few words on that as well. Hope, hopefully I won't repeat too much of what he said. <laughs> but, um, yeah, compassion, uh, karuna, one of the uh, four uh, Brahma Viharas, divine abidings, uh, expansive, subtle, sometimes subtle, expansive states of mind, um, as Ajahn Sumedho calls the Brahma Viharas, the the four mature emotions, kind of, kind of the best that uh, the human condition can come up with in terms of a uh, a reference point, uh, an abiding place. Compassion being the second of the four, traditionally defined as uh, the genuine wish to for others to be free of suffering. In my, when I think about it and when I try and cultivate that mature emotion for myself, uh, that way of abiding, responding to the conditions of the world, what occurs to me is, is that it's strongly based on a very deep understanding, uh, deep penetration of the first noble truth uh, that we can't expect that wish, that very deep, mature wish to be uh, free from from suffering and for others to be free from suffering until we really understand the core experience, uh, deeply penetrate it, and allow ourselves to open up uh, to that first noble truth. Um, Because most of our lives are spent dancing around our suffering, uh, trying to find bandages to to placate it or distractions to avoid having to look at it. Um, so we develop a lifetimes of ha- habits to to deflect the experience of suffering, uh, the unpleasant aspects of being a human being. We so much don't want it that we'll pretty much do anything to have to avoid looking directly at it, whether it's in the realm of you know, sensuality, uh, 
stuffing our <laughs> our physical senses and and also our uh, intellect with all sorts of distractions and uh, pleasantries that we can uh, bring up uh, in the in the conditioned realm. Uh, so we don't have to kind of look at that deeper level of hmm, the diff- the difficulties of being a human being, the downside. <clears throat> the things that we uh, don't want. So, you know, I think all of us that are here in this room uh, know that uh, at some level or another, that uh, we're here to uh, kind of answer that question that's lurking in all of our minds uh, in, in the deepest part of our, our being of, of <clears throat> is, there some, is there a better way is there a better way than uh, following the path uh, uh, that I've uh, been following in order to get some sense of well-being, some sense of contentment, some sense of happiness? Is there something that will work in the long run on a much deeper level? And it is that opening up to, the, of course, the Four Noble Truths, but uh, particularly that first Noble Truth of, of deep penetration. That's the duty of the first Noble Truth. of uh, There is suffering, the duty to deeply understand, to deeply penetrate um, that experience. And then, of course, to, to go further to explore the cause and the, the path leading to the cessation of, of this kind of dukkha. But that first step is one that we kind of often try and skip over, <laughs> get, to the, get to the third step, the realization of the end of suffering. Somehow we think if we can just plant our hearts and our minds uh, in the third, uh, third noble truth, then uh, maybe we won't have to actually uh, experience the first. <clears throat> so willingness to open up uh, and to go there. One of the uh, one of the great um, uh, supports that I've found, uh, and that I, I incredible over time, just more and more uh, appreciate, is the support for that exploration by living in community. Uh, I was talking with Lung Pa about this uh, the other night after. After some talk, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was after an evening talk of some sort, and just feeling this overwhelming gratitude for uh, being in community uh, and kind of feeling uh, a bit, um, you know, uh, a sense of concern for sometimes uh, people, monastics, uh, go off, go out on their own or practice as hermits uh, and... um, for you know, most of their career, if not all of it, some some people uh, either uh, start out that way uh, or train for a while in a monastery and then uh, go out on their own. Uh, sometimes never to return uh, to communal living, and and that's suitable for some people in some ways. Uh, you can see it um, can be beneficial uh, for having periods and sometimes extended periods of, of solitude. Uh, to really uh, settle in um, to some of the deeper contemplative practices. Uh, and then, of course, some people just aren't suited for community life. Um, 
just can't can't do it for whatever internal reasons and uh, aren't uh, good community members and supportive of the communal uh, approach and and kind of have to be on their own um, but uh, I think one of Ajahn Chah's uh, discoveries for himself was uh, when he would when he in his early days he of course he trained and you know as a novice and uh, junior monk in in, in uh, monasteries, but uh, fairly early on went out on his own and uh, did a lot of solitary practice, wandering, uh, and uh, was able to experience some uh, very strong fruits from that kind of practice. But he realized whenever, if I understand, if I remember the stories correctly, that whenever he'd find himself back in community, a lot of the underlying defilements would just surface again and that uh, the trials and tribulations of being with other people and, and what it brought up hadn't really been addressed and that some core obstructions uh, were still there that could only be realized uh, in that kind of bump and grind in the presence of other people. And so uh, after some time, he gravitated back towards that uh, communal style of, of practice, and that's how he developed Wapapong and then the branch monasteries that came uh, from that uh, as a very uh, communal-oriented approach uh, because it's where you can really learn, you know, where our habits are held deeply uh, when you're living in close quarters and close contact with, with people, um, uh, there's going to be challenges uh, to uh, those uh, defilements that are uh, lurking underneath. So, you know, we have our community here, of course, the, the monastic community, which uh, I'm so grateful for. Other people live in a different kind of community, whether it's family, uh, households, or uh, with friends and groups, um, you know, we all have our uh, different forms of community, but to use that uh, and not to run away from that and to let it do its work uh, and be our reminder and to, to be willing to look at, uh, look at what comes up uh, and to look at it honestly. Uh, this is our opportunity. Um, I, you know, some during this past retreat, and then actually I found myself uh, in the past year to uh, finding refuge in kind of uh, letting those um, old habits uh, really, really surface, you know, sort of like you, you can be, I can be sitting there sometimes or have been uh, past couple of years and uh, quietly minding my own business and some, <laughs> some, uh, something comes up that's based on some sort of underlying tendency or underlying uh, defiled state of mind, greed, hatred, delusion uh, of some sort, and, uh, you know, something arises in the thought pattern, the thought train starts to go crazy, and, uh, and then I catch it um, and say, okay, well, there's that, there's that habit again. It's coming up again. Why, uh, why doesn't it go away? I, you know, I just... It just it just keeps on ha- happening. I wish it weren't. You know, the feeling, underlying feeling, is I wish I didn't have to experience this. And then my my refrain uh, in response to that has been, 
hold it, hold it, hold it, Kurunadama, this is what you're here for. You know, you're here to let these things come up and to, to experience them and to be willing to look at them. You know, this is the time, this is the place, you've got the opportunity. They're, they're there and they're not going away. So look at it and be with it and be grateful that you've got the time and the space to start to deeply understand uh, this cause of suffering or this first noble truth, that there is this suffering to, to, to know it. And I don't think that would happen without the opportunities of living in a community like this. So incredible gratitude for this opportunity. So this, this motivation to be free from suffering, I think that's what you know, this compassion is all about. Um, uh, it's, it is based on uh, this deep, deeper understanding. We, we don't have that motivation to do something about it uh, unless we really learn to own up to it and experience it uh, in an honest way. And then when we do that, that motivation, that compassionate motivation for ourselves and then extended to others comes up to, let's do something. Let's take, let's take some action. That's compassion. I remember um, one of the early on experiences uh, in my early years here um, in that uh, facing, facing suffering uh, based on community issues uh, was coming up fairly regularly. Uh, there was a person here at the time who was struggling, like we all were, and... Um, uh, there was this tendency on their part to, to get very frustrated uh, with certain uh, things, and sometimes that person and I would even have some some disagreements about uh, different aspects of what was going on in the community, and and sometimes the interactions would get very frustrating, very difficult uh, in going back and forth and trying to explain each other's viewpoint, and and. Um, Sometimes it would devolve into into that other person saying things like, "You just don't understand," you know, "You you you just don't understand." I wish somebody could understand what I'm going through. Um, you know, almost kind of a like my problems are, and my issues and and my suffering is unique, uh, and that. Uh, if only other people could understand, then it would somehow make that person feel better. And, and it would just go on, and, and I would start to feel guilty, you know, sort of like, oh my, you know, I don't understand. Why can't I understand? You know, it's you know, sort of like I felt, I felt the blame. You know, I took on the blame of, of not being able to understand so that this other person would feel better. And, uh, you know... For a long time, it would just, you know, end there. <laughs> and then would, you know, things would settle down and, and pick up again in a few weeks or a few months. You know, something else would happen along the same lines. And back to, you just don't understand. Oh. And that guilt would arise again. And uh, it wasn't until 
some time later, that, you know, thinking about this pattern uh, that the two of us had going back and forth, and realizing that, yeah, it's true, actually, on some level, I don't understand, and I can't understand uh, completely what that other person is going through, because I'm not in that other person's shoes. And, and you know, at some level... Um, their suffering is unique in some ways, in some patterns, but really, when it comes down to the core cause uh, of dukkha, the core cause of suffering, all of our suffering is really the same. Um, but we get lost in our own particular form of it. You know, we each have our own flavor. You know, it's like ice cream, you know, you know some people or eating vanilla ice cream. Some people have a favorite of strawberry ice cream or whatever, but it's all ice cream, really, when it comes right down to it. So it's like it's like the dukkha is, is all dukkha. We have our different flavors, but um, if, we, if we're really honest with ourselves, we go deeper uh, than our own uh, unique patterns. And, and to some extent, it is impossible to completely live in someone else's shoes and to understand their experience. And and uh, I don't think, you know, people really have the right to expect that. You know, I, I shouldn't have the right to expect that everybody understands exactly why I'm, you know, having difficulty or why I'm having the suffering that I'm having um, in my own particular form. So that was a real realization and, you know, in terms of, but it was the power of that, you know, living in that community and having to, in this community and having to just kind of confront that over and over again until I realized, okay, well, you know, um, it's that over-personalization of our suffering that causes us to keep getting stuck in it uh, and not allowing ourselves to move. It's that taking ownership of it and considering it to be my suffering, my unique suffering, and not allowing ourselves to see the universality of it. So that's where, in my mind, that's where wisdom is actually an um, inseparable part of, of the development of compassion. Uh, it's, it's like the old... Uh, description uh, that Ajahn Chah would use of samatha and vipassana being two ends of the same stick. You pick up the st- you pick up one and you pick up the other with it. Same analogy, I think, for wisdom and compassion. You can't really have, you know, true compassion, uh, the wish to end suffering, without the depth of wisdom to understand its uh, core characteristics, its core cause. Uh, the personalization of it, uh, and the universality of it. And you can't really develop that wisdom without the owning up to that first noble truth, the opening, the beginning of compassion, the realization, ah, there is, there is dukkha. This is part of human, human life. And that's where the motivation for developing that wisdom comes from. So it's, they go together. They're not, uh, you can't separate them uh, to develop them fully, to develop them both fully.
kind of a real uh, story that I remember from reading about uh, well before I was a monk. Uh, it uh, really made an impression on me um, uh, in a book, I think it was from a book rather, or a talk, uh, that uh, Stephen Levine was uh, telling about an experience. He used to work with, uh, of course, with people who were dying, uh, checking out the psychological, emotional, spiritual aspects of the death process uh, on a very deep level and teaching around that. And one of the stories that, uh, this is all paraphrased, probably got some of the details wrong, but uh, of a woman who was uh, suffering a very severe illness uh, in great physical and emotional pain uh, and um, really, really in, embedded in strong resistance uh, and, um, yeah, just, you know, incredible uh, anger uh, to uh, what it was that she was having to go through. So, you know, you've got your physical pain and you've got your emotional pain and then compounded with this incredible aversion, anger, resistance, you know, railing against the uh, unfairness uh, of it all. And if I remember right, to the point where it was really causing people in her life to feel quite alienated, not wanting to be there to support her as much as they wanted to, but just feeling like, oh, this is very, very difficult to be with. Um, And... uh, that her, uh, you know, she finally came uh, at some point when things were really stacking up um, and she was in kind of a lot of uh, very deep suffering. Uh, one particular time when it was reaching sort of a, a, a peak and crisis point, uh, and I can't remember the exact circumstances that brought it on, but she started to surrender and... Uh, she had a almost a vision, I think, um, of the fact that uh, this great suffering that she was experiencing was not all her own. She had visions of the the vast quantities, vast numbers of of beings in the world, people in the world, who were experiencing the same kind of suffering that she was uh, that uh, there, it wasn't just her. There were countless other beings who had experienced and were experiencing this depth of, of uh, discomfort, pain, suffering uh, that she also was. And all of a sudden, a flood of images and, and uh, beings uh, who were exactly in the same position that she was uh, started to uh, come through her consciousness. And she just apparently, from the story, if I remember, broke down. uh, And just all the resistance, the anger, the hatred dissolved uh, in that moment of understanding, deep understanding that she she wasn't alone. This wasn't her personal, her personal ordeal. Uh, And she realized rather than it being my suffering, uh, 
that it was just the suffering, not just, but but the suffering rather than my suffering. And that from that point on, uh, from that deep insight that she had, uh, the the course of her illness was much, much more bearable. Uh, And uh, she became a source of inspiration and light to all of the people around her rather than a source of uh, aversion. So, you know, we need these kind of reminders along the way, and sometimes we have to kind of be brought to, brought to the, the brink uh, before we'll start to uh, uh, surrender uh, and realize that... Uh, we don't have to uh, take this on as a as a personal uh, attack, a personal affront. This this truth of suffering. It <laughs> reminds me of also kind of an experience I had early on too. I've, uh, I've told this story before, so apologies if it's if it's a repeated one for you. But uh, before I was a monk, and it was my uh, one of my first retreats that I ever uh, went to uh, as I was just getting into Buddhist practice. And it was uh, uh, with Ruth Dennison uh, 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 in, in Oregon at Brighton Bush, a, a two-week retreat. Um, and I had just uh, been working as a hospice nurse for not too long, less than a year probably, and had you know my learning curve with that and, and was um, had a, one very difficult uh, patient this was a, a, who was dying at home. Uh, he was a young, man, very young man, um, and it was very difficult uh, dying process. And he was filled with rage, uh, and uh, just there was even one time when I was making a visit, and he was just so off the top with rage that he was throwing furniture around, and I had to duck. <laughs> you know, it was it was quite dramatic. Um, but uh, uh, I, you know, basically felt quite helpless uh, in trying to help because it just didn't seem like anything I could do would would uh, would make any difference. And kind of working with that and kind of uh, you know not dealing with it all that particularly well, uh, I came on to this retreat and as is usual on about day three or day four of <laughs> of, of these kinds of retreats. You know, things start to finally really, you know, start to uh, bubble up uh, before they start to settle down again, and and uh, all this was just coming up, and I was feeling quite emotional, uh, and uh, went to an interview w- with Ruth, uh, and uh, kind of just started to break down, <laughs> and all the emotion was coming out, and and uh, frustration, and. Uh, sense of unworthiness and not being able to help and not being able to cope with this person's anger and and you know the tears were coming and and kind of she was she was very you know quiet and just listening and attentive uh, and uh, uh, and I felt okay well she's you know really understanding what I'm going through and and uh, you know uh, sympathetic and, and um, kind of was emoting myself along the way. And uh, and it came to a pause, and and, uh, I looked at her, and she was kind of looking at me. 
kind of you know, look of concern. But then she said to me, she said, you know, you're a real marginal case here now. And I you know, kind of surprised at how she said that and what she said. And I wasn't quite sure what she was saying, you know. And then she said, you know, you probably really shouldn't be here at this retreat. You know, you're, this is, you're really marginal right now. And she had this kind of look of kind concern on her face. And I don't know how she knew, you know, she's a very deeply intuitive person. But somehow she, she, you know, tuned into to my drama, you know, and was gently, politely calling me on my drama uh, of that, uh, how I was emoting there. And it just kind of like was cold water on my face, uh, splashed on my face. And it was like, immediately the thought came up to me was, I'm not a marginal case. How, how, you know, how could she think I'm a marginal case? Um, I'm healthy. I'm, you know, I'm not psychologically imbalanced. And it was just kind of the wake-up uh, that I needed to realize that I was just kind of personalizing everything so much, taking on you know, this uh, sense of ownership of this other person's difficulties uh, and... Um, Essentially, you know, assigning myself too much self-importance as to the role that I could play uh, in a situation like that, um, and it just—it was a very useful, useful wake-up call uh, to realize how, whether it's our own suffering or someone else's suffering, or how we, you know, approach it is is the most important thing, and and, and realizing that. Their suffering, my suffering, you know, my reaction, all of this is, you know, just the universal truth of, of dukkha. Um, and that uh, the key to the ending of it, whether it's someone else's or, or one's own, is that realization uh, that it's not who I am and it's not all about me. So, yeah, the danger. Uh, I think it becomes more clear the danger of of um, of not realizing that um, is that we kind of move into what uh, what uh, in some of the teachings the later teachings of commentaries you know call the near enemy of of, of compassion um, so that if we don't have the wisdom component with it. Um, uh, and that level of uh, a maturity to to hold suffering uh, clearly uh, uh, with wisdom, then we can move into kind of slightly distorted versions of compassion. So that if um, you know if 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 we're experiencing or witnessing uh, some sort of uh, major kind of dukkha in ourselves or others, and, and we move into uh, sort of a um, slightly uh, aversive state or uh, yeah, not clearly comprehending kind of a state of mind, we can respond with more of, of, of pity, not, not pity <laughs> uh, as in rapture, but pity as in feeling sorry for ourselves or feeling sorry for someone else is, is uh, you know, what we think is maybe a compassionate reaction, but it's more, more uh, it's, it's not a full, under, it's not compassion with a full understanding. It's realizing there's some pain, but you know, just kind of feeling, you know, 
when it's relation to to somebody else, almost kind of feeling a little bit condescending, of uh, you know that poor pitiful creature kind of a thing. If we don't see it clearly, or maybe more commonly, such as in the case that I had with that that angry patient, that uh, if we don't see it clearly ourselves uh, uh, and the other person and their personalization of it, we can move into overwhelm, which is one of the other ways of describing the the near enemy of compassion. We think it's, you know, we think we're trying to help someone else or, you know, uh, deal with our own pain, but uh, without that wisdom component, without that seeing the impersonalization of it, the not-self aspect of it, um, then uh, we move into overwhelm rather than true compassion. True compassion would give us the motivation to to be clear and, and to seek out a, a way of releasing the, the cause of it, uh, abandoning the cause of the dukkha. But overwhelm just clouds the picture even more. So again, that, that particular way of viewing it uh, gives a perspective on the importance of, of the wisdom component when we're examining, exploring suffering. So I guess really the you know the the basic overall thought that I have with all of this is is the just the importance of and the and the dual nature the uh, of how they're inseparable wisdom compassion uh, uh, clear seeing clear knowing uh, and opening up honestly to that that first noble truth um, of of suffering. And then looking deeply into the cause, uh, the attachments, the clinging, the the distorted ways that we have of viewing the world and what we can expect from it, uh, and to to really cultivate those <clears throat> those wisdom teachings, those explorations as to the reality of our life as a human being, uh, and then allowing that compassionate motivation to to realize the end of suffering uh, and the fact that we have to explore that in ourselves uh, deeply uh, and then the natural response once we've at least you know developed some penetration and understanding the natural response is to want to be able to share that in whatever skillful ways we we can with other people because we realize it's all the same it's not different it's uh, mine and yours become irrelevant it's just uh the suffering and, and, and the wish to be free from it. So I think that's enough for now. I'll leave it uh, there for this evening's reflection. <laughs>